Shortly after the Battle of Yavin, Luke Skywalker escorted Princess Leia on what was supposed to be a diplomatic mission to the Sercarpus system, but a crash landing on a nearby jungle planet of Mimbin made the mission so much more. Hiding from an Imperial mining colony, searching for an ancient crystal which may make a Force user almost invincible, unfortunately, they're not the only ones after it. Lord Darth Vader is right behind them. With the help of their two Yuzum friends, R2-D2 and C-3PO, and an old woman named Hala, Luke and Leia are determined to find the crystal before Darth Vader does. Before the Force Unleashed, before the prequel trilogy, even before The Empire Strikes Back comes the first expanded universe novel, Two True Freaks presents Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Two True Freaks. So special, we have assembled a stellar, star-studded panel of five freaks for this one to discuss one of our favorite, favorite books, Theodore Geisel's Green Eggs and Ham. No, no, no. Actually, that is one of my favorite books. Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. And uh, for this particular one, I... I'm Scott Gardner, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Honeywell. That's me for this particular one and every other <laughs> one. I don't know what Scott's going to be calling himself for other particular episodes, but... <laughs> um, we are joined by Joshua Lappin-Bertoni. Did hey, I pronounce that right, Josh? You did on the first try, so oh, uh, awesome. very good. Awesome. I have not to have known me. He has my last name, so... <laughs> Now, uh, tell the kind folks about uh, about the uh, awesome podcast that you do all uh, related to Star Wars and actually anything else that uh, that you're doing out there in podcast land these days. Well, that, that'll go into an hour long show if I talk about everything. <laughs> but I had the idea because I've always loved the I've always had a curiosity about the Marvel Star Wars stuff because I grew up in the Dark Horse era and people were always talking about those books and how kooky they were some said that they were awful some said they were kitschy and i got the entire run a few years ago and i thought it would be a great idea if somebody did a podcast covering this stuff and lo and behold i'm in the middle of recording the first episode of what i think is a very original idea when michael bailey says hey you know that there's a uh, two people already doing that right <laughs> <laughs> that's so that the internet that we're you. ready to find you and hang you from the highest well that's wall. how the internet works you know yeah. I'm like, son of a parent. I thought I was the first person with a penguin porn site. And Come on. There's 27 others. And that actually made it into the middle of the first episode, the moment yes. where I discover it. So I'm like, you know what? I got the record button. I got this all set up. F it. I'm continuing on with this project. And well, I'm glad I've... that you carried on because I yeah, really, really enjoy your show. It's very funny and uh, and very original. So... I, I very quickly got over my initial, you know, WTF reaction of that's our territory. Get out of my backyard kind of thing. So, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy your show very much. 
Well, I enjoyed yours a lot, too, because when I was listening, I said, okay, I'm only going to listen to the issues that I'm covering after I've covered them. That way, I don't steal their ideas inadvertently or I'm subconsciously influenced by what they say. But the episodes were so good that I just listened ahead to every single one. That's sort of what happened. I, I, I found that's how I got it to Scott. I found one of your episodes on YouTube and I listened to it. And I'm like, oh, I got to tell Scott about this. He's going to flip out, you know. And I thought, well, I'll listen to one episode just to see how it compares. But I don't want to listen to it because I don't want to, like you know accidentally accidentally steal any ideas or anything like that <laughs> and uh, then i listened to it and i said you know he's making a lot of the same points we are but in a completely different way and it was a it was just a completely different thing altogether, and it was great I, and i was just i couldn't wait to get scott on the hey guess what i found <laughs> Son of a bitch! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me finish my introductions of our yes. other fine guests. We have uh, rejoining us for this episode, award-winning American director, screenwriter, and producer known for work in the fields of science fiction, comic books, and animation, notably the uh, awesome Clone Wars CGI series that's on uh, Cartoon Network right now, George Kerstick. Word to your Minox. <laughs> I figured I'd just come out and let my freak flag fly right away. Awesome. I'm not awesome. at all. At all. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you picked probably the, the second most obscene creature from all of Star Wars. Yeah, I the guess. Sarlacc being yeah. the most obscene, I, th- uh, I would, I would yeah. have to say. Yeah, the Sarlacc makes me uncomfortable. The more I watch the beginning of the show. <laughs> and rounding out our panel, we have Mike Poteet, Biblio Mike on the forum, and I'm just going to keep harping on this. Gravitas, gravitas, gravitas. Uh, well, I did do my best. <laughs> thanks How for having me. How you doing, Mike? <laughs> pretty well, pretty well, thanks. So thank you, all you guys, for joining us for this. I know we're going to have an absolute blast. This is... I would say that this is probably my favorite book just because I'm I'm almost positive that this was the first book I read on my own as a kid without being like forced here you got to read this for whatever reason. This was something I actually sought out and and just ate up as a kid. So I was really excited that uh that other geeks felt the same way I did about this this very cool book. So how do we want to do this, Chris? Do we just want to kind of round robin everybody, origin stories and that sort of thing? Sure. I think I've told my origin story for this, so you can skip me. Yeah. But, um, yeah. By, what, by saying, yeah, I mean, I'm going to skip myself, too. I didn't mean, yeah, I don't want to hear your crap. Oh, okay. Either. I don't want to hear your story, either. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know your story, too. Well, since Josh is the newest uh, to the show, um, we'll go ahead. We'll start with Josh's origin story, and then we'll just round robin from there. All right, so we're how talking... did you discover uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Well, I was about um, 10, 11 years old when this Star Wars renaissance was happening in the mid-90s, so mm-hmm. uh, that's the dating reference for all of you. I think I might be one of the youngest people on the show right now. And every single book was the post-Return of the Jedi stuff, and it was just kind of engraved in my head that that's what the Star Wars books were, the post-Return of the Jedi adventures. And I saw the cover for Splinter, I'm thinking, well, why is Darth Vader there? Are they bringing him back or something? Because I couldn't wrap my head originally around the fact that maybe this is taking place in a different time period. So I leafed through it, and obviously I saw the timeline stuff, but I thought it was cool that they had George Lucas give an introduction to this edition, 
And the date was interesting because it was written way before the 90s, obviously. So it was like this ancient Star Wars artifact from before the modern day EU. And I read it and it was really, really different, but I kind of liked it. And I liked it even more when I heard the story behind it, which we'll probably get into later about how Alan Dean Foster wrote it as a backup Star Wars sequel. I right. thought it was cool how they had Darth Vader and Luke battle before Empire. Different stuff. Very different from all those other 90s Star Wars stories I was reading, for reasons that we'll get into later, but that's my uh, introduction to Splinter. How about you, George? How did you uh, discover this book? Well, uh, interestingly enough, um, I saw it, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, we, we spoke about this before, but I saw it on the, on the stands when it first came out, and... Um, it looked a little off to me, and by off, it, it's like the, the cover actually threw me a bit off, because, and I think, uh, I think it was, was it the Hildebrandt brothers who did the cover? Uh, uh see, it, it was, um, no, it was Ralph McQuarrie. Oh, okay. It, was, it seemed kind of more of a fantasy cover to me. Yes. And, and that, that kind of uh, threw me off. I was like, you know, don't put fantasy in my Star Wars, what the heck? So... I actually never read the book, and only recently did I read the comic. Uh, but what I found fascinating, and I think we just touched on it, is the backstory to how this story was created. As you know, as uh, it was supposed to be the next Star Wars film, and uh, that's that's when I got interested. And there's this excellent book, and you can also read it online for free. And I'm sure you guys know about this: the Secret History of Star Wars. And they have a whole section that goes into uh, what was done with this this story and how it was, you know, intended as a film. Then it became a book. So that aspect really interested me. It was kind of like a whole other parallel parallel story that was supposed to exist, but then was kind of excised and put in a book. The way I've heard the the story told was that. Uh... This was like Lucas's backup continuation of the saga story. If Star Wars came out and kind of tanked, which he expected it to do, this would be like his low-budget continuation. And when Star Wars came out and was a phenom, then this just became, you know, the the novel that it is. You know, yeah, exactly. Almost uh, well, now all these years later, almost a footnote, an awesome footnote, but really just kind of a footnote because then you know, of course, we got you know empire but yeah i think that's interesting because i can see that when i read this i can visualize it as a really awesome yet you know low budget film like kind of like star wars itself was you know the first star wars and in, in, you know ultimately was kind of a low budget it's way film. lower budget than star wars would have been it's just oh, a yeah. lot of travel <laughs> yeah it would you would it, it there would have been a few set pieces to spend all the money on like the wandrella yeah yep. yeah but but before that we get to that we should get mike's yep oh well i'm probably unusual well i thought i was until i had a similar experience with george i did not read the book uh, even though i was a i I saw star wars in its original theatrical run i was five years old and and i can really remember wanting to read the novelization of empire when it came out because that was sort of my first exposure to the idea that a book of a movie could tell more than the movie could and I, I wanted to read it, begged my mom to get it for me, but for whatever reason, she wouldn't. 
and uh, she got me the junior novelization, the storybook, you know, with all the photographs. But oh, so yeah. I knew this book was out there, and I, I, I loved the cover. It looked interesting, but uh, but I, I learned somehow that it, quote unquote, didn't count. You know, it was sort of an aberration. So I never bothered to pick it up and read it. Um, as, even as I continued on as a, uh, a sci-fi geek and a fan, uh, I've always been a big Star Trek fan, for example, and I read those novels even though they don't count <laughs> in terms of Star Trek canon. So I don't know what the mental block was for reading this, because uh, especially when the Renaissance in the 90s happened, that Josh mentioned, when Phantom let it be known that all the novels were going to fit into a one continuing consistent storyline, uh, that kept me away from the Star Wars novels until last year when I finally decided I got to dig into the stuff because I thought I don't I can't I can't catch up now after a decade and so you know much less go back to the stuff in the 70s if that's supposed to fit but uh, so finally it was ultimately you guys Chris and Scott who uh, mentioning this title in some of your other episodes and saying how great it was I finally picked up a copy in January at my local used bookstore and uh, I believe it's a first paperback edition uh, it's got an ad about the energy crisis in the back, at least. So it's from that yep. era. Yep. And, uh, and I love it. It's, it's, it's a great story. I didn't know it was going to be the backup sequel until uh, just this week, actually, doing a little bit of research for tonight. Uh, and that was interesting. But I loved it as a, as a book. I read it three times in rapid succession and uh, could really visualize, as a, visualize it as a film in my head as well. And uh, thought it was fascinating how uh, Foster spun this story which is very unlike a new hope unlike star wars but uh but really feels like it can belong in the same universe yep. and with with some exceptions but by and large it seems to me now I, like i said i'm still new to the expanded universe but it seems like it, it could still fit fairly well with a few notable exceptions but uh it's just a great adventure story and the characters are handled fairly well and you've got some interesting new characters and uh so i, I think it's a, a great star wars adventure i, I I really like it. Well, they've brought it back in the canon now. They've uh, referenced the Kaber crystal and other things in some of the newer books. In yeah. fact, I think uh, Lumaya, who's a Marvel character brought into canon, she was using a piece of the Kaber crystal in her light whip or something. Well, it's, it's oh, turned awesome. up in the Clone Wars. It was on Clone it Wars, has, yes. cartoon too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, mentioned in one of the episodes this season as as a, a record of all the four sensitive children in the galaxy or something. It was on a yeah, on the well, they didn't say it was a piece Cat of it. Cat Bane but... had a piece of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or he was after it or something. Or after yeah, some yeah. In yeah, the Revenge of the Sith of yeah. In the Revenge of the Sith video game, if you type in Kaber as a cheat code, you get unlimited force powers. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Huh. What, what did you start to say, George? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, that was that was in one of my episodes when when Bane. I, I was going to ask oh, you that. Was. Oh, awesome! <laughs> I was thinking that might have been that, that was in that second uh, episode of the opener, right? Yes, it was, and and you know, there's a, a bit of backstory in that when we were coming up with it, there was so much back and forth about the, the Kyber crystals and what do they really mean and how do they interact with uh, holocrons and. It was we were kind of almost redefining canon uh, with that episode. So yeah, it was it was a, a lot of uh, a lot of brain sweat going on to figure out how we'd make that thing work. Now, um, where do you uh, fall on on this book canon wise? I mean, do, does it seem to fit to you? Because I, I don't have a problem with. I, I think it still fits perfectly myself. Yeah. 
Well, from what I remember, and I kind of wanted to come to this game as the, the neophyte and that I didn't read the book, but I read the comic. From what I remember, there was there were things about the relationships uh, that, did, that didn't quite work with canon between Luke and Leia. And also some of the, the worldview of how the Empire uh, dealt with systems, etc. didn't quite fit, but uh, it didn't really bump me as much as, you know, let's say something that, that the more current EU novels, you know, you might find in some of those. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the, the Imperial relationship um, that, that you thought maybe not, didn't work uh, or was uh, no, you know, can, can, counter to canon or whatever? Yeah, now correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in the book they are they're mining a, a planet, right? They're using slave labor. Mm-hmm. And I, there was something, and now you, you put me on the spot that I don't have a specific answer oh, I'm sorry. to it. No, 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 this is good. This is why we're doing this. But there was something, I remember I read something in the comic, and I was like, no, nah, that's not quite right. But again, that's probably something like super nerdy that I might have known about that, you know, the Imperial Protocol in, you know, in-system mining or something like that. So, uh, okay, I got you. It, it could have been because they were on a planet that had a different governing or controlling body. Because I think uh, Sir, Cop- Sir Carpus, they made references to it, was kind of neutral. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's why Leia was going to that conference because they were going to decide, you know, if they want to join the rebellion or not. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were utilizing slave labor under Imperial Guard on a neutral planet, which would, of course, kind of throw the balance off. Right. Well, they were kind of doing it on the sly because the uh, I, I can't remember if it comes right out and, and says so in the book or not. But the impression I was left with with is that the Empire kind of snuck onto Mimban, set up this 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 installation and we're doing an, all of this right under the nose of the Sar Capens or however you pronounce their their, yeah. their name. But those people didn't know that they were even in system. Right. That this That's was right. like a planet in their system that the Empire just kind of snuck in to, to well, do this. It's basically like a strip mining operation. Well, and that's why I think towards the end, Princess Leia wasn't stressing so much about the meeting that they were missing because she knew now that they'd exposed an Imperial. Right operation there that they pretty much had they the, were shooting, had them in yeah. their pocket yeah yeah meaning that she was like a month late too right exactly yeah. that she was just freaking <laughs> right. out and then you have one point in the book where it's like seven days later they're still going through the jungle it's like yeah, geez, yeah. they must have given up on that meeting <laughs> well she's like if i'm even late the sarcarpins will be scared away and they'll never join the rebellion <laughs> at the end of the book she's like well mm, gotta yeah. get to that meeting <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing I think, because, uh, you know, I'm obviously prejudiced. You know, I, I read this when it was fairly new and, and everything and, and have latched onto it and, and held onto it, you know, all through my childhood and everything and just love this book and keep coming back to it. So, you know, I, I have no objectivity at all when it comes to it. But the argument I seem to see where people don't want to consider it canon and they consider it kind of an anomaly in the eu and all of that is the thing where where luke faces vader and actually is able to hold his own and ultimately um see people i think people call it a defeat i don't think he so much defeats vader as he basically um he just survives the battle with him but i don't think necessarily many hills i'm sorry 
Vader kind of, you know, Benny Hills and trips on his own foot, literally. <laughs> yeah, so, right. and falls down yeah. a hole. You Luke, can't Luke call that did a... bed, Yeah, he did it's... better than Vader expected and caught him off guard a little bit. And then, right. with a combination of bad luck, Vader fell into his pit, you know. I, 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 have any of you ever read, there was a book published a few years ago where, I forget what it's called, but it tells the story of... Uh, the Star Wars saga from Vader's point of view, and it does the six movies, but it does little things like the Shira Bree story and Splinter of the Mind's Eye and some of the Clone Wars stuff. Oh, no, I haven't. No, I'd like to read that. Yeah, I'd like to read that. I don't know what that is. It tells Splinter from uh, Vader's point of view, and uh-huh. it's it explains some things, and it talks about how the Kaber crystal, because it enhances the Force, it also enhanced the dark side in him, so that's why he was trying to kill Luke and Leia, because... His anger took over because the caper crystal was feeding on the dark side, and as a result, he was more reckless. And they did another one about Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Obi explains, uh, which had been a fan theory for years, that the spirit of Obi-Wan had actually kind of possessed Luke during uh-huh. the fight. That's why Luke was able to he hold him. He says that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it and it actually, uh, there's a line in Empire, which wasn't written to be explaining this but it works with that retcon where obi-wan's like if you choose to face vader you must go alone i can no longer help you right (laughs) two years after the destruction of the death star an imperial governor notified vader that the persons matching the descriptions of luke skywalker and princess leia organa had been captured on sir carpus 5 a swamp planet locally known as mimbin Vader was aware of the Mimbin legend about the Caper Crystal, a luminous crimson-colored gem that magnified the Force a thousandfold, and hoped to collect this relic along with the captive rebels. By the time Vader arrived on Mimbin, Skywalker and the Princess had escaped and fled into the jungle. After a close encounter in a cavern, he finally caught up with them at the vine-encrusted Temple of Poagemma a pyramid ziggurat constructed of giant blocks of volcanic stone for an ancient Mimbin deity, which contained the Caber crystal. Using the force, Vader dropped a stone ceiling on Luke Skywalker, pinning him to the temple floor while Leia Organa watched helplessly. You have a great deal to atone for to me, Vader told Skywalker, who, like the princess, was attired in the dark work uniform worn by the local miners. Activating his lightsaber, Vader began swinging its red blade back and forth, chopping playfully at bits of stone from the surrounding walls. I probably won't have the patience to let you last as long as you deserve, he continued. You may consider yourselves lucky. Turning his attention to the princess, Vader said, I expect no such difficulty in restraining myself where you are concerned, Leia Organa. In several ways, you are responsible for my setbacks much more than this simple boy. Simple boy? Vader was surprised by the words that had come from his own mouth. Even though he knew there was more the Skywalker than met the eye, and had only intended on apprehending the rebels, he was suddenly overcome by the desire to kill them. He realized he was losing his self-control. The princess picked up Luke's lightsaber and activated its blue blade. As she moved towards Vader, he abruptly let his arm fall, letting the beam of his own weapon hang limply at his side. Leia, don't! Luke yelled. It's a feint! He's daring you! Kill me, then yourself! It's hopeless now! Gazing at the princess with contempt, Vader said to her, Go on, let him fight for you if you want, but I won't let you kill him. Thinking of how Luke had escaped his clutches before, he added, I've been robbed too often. 
The princess fought bravely, but she was no match for Vader. She used the last of her strength to throw the lightsaber to Skywalker. Just as he emerged from under the rubble, facing the Sith Lord, Skywalker said, Ben Kenobi is with me, Vader, and the Force is with me too. The duel was furious, and carried Vader and Skywalker through the temple to a chamber where there was a dark, circular opening in the floor, the mouth of a deep pit. As the battle wore on, Vader found himself breathing hard through his respirator, but then, thanks to the proximity to the force-enhancing caver crystal, he felt a sudden surge of the power of the dark side, allowing him to project lightning from his fingertips for the first time in his life. He hurled force-energized lightning at Skywalker, but his young opponent deflected the blast. Not possible, Vader muttered, feeling his energy drain. Such power in a child. Not possible. As Skywalker threw himself at the towering black figure, Vader raised his lightsaber to defend himself, but he wasn't fast enough. Skywalker's blade cut through the Sith Lord's prosthetic right arm, and it fell on the floor, still crutching the red-bladed lightsaber. Dazed, Vader bent and used his left hand to pry his weapon from the gloved fingers of his severed arm. He was shifting his weight to make another attack, when he suddenly, he had a clear view of the lightsaber in Skywalker's grip. The weapon's design and hand grip looked familiar. Vader's head suddenly felt heavy as he tried to move forward. He stumbled over his severed limb. The robotic arm tumbled after him as he plummeted into the nearby pit. He howled as he descended into the darkness, and it seemed like his fall would never end. Throughout the fall, he thought of Skywalker's lightsaber. Vader would have sworn it was the same weapon that Obi-Wan had taken from Anakin Skywalker on Mustafar. He didn't stop howling with rage until he crashed into a heap upon a pile of hard stones. It was over an hour before Vader regained consciousness at the bottom of the pit below the Temple of Poa Gemma. He tasted blood inside his helmet and silently cursed himself. He realized what had happened in the temple. The Caber Crystal had increased his force powers, but not to his advantage. It had amplified his hatred and anger, causing him to abandon his desire to capture Skywalker and find out more about his identity. Now he sensed that the Caber Crystal was no longer in the temple, that it had left Mimbin, along with Skywalker and the princess. Vader gathered up his arm and lightsaber and made his way out of the cavern, where he summoned an Imperial shuttle to deliver him to the nearest medical center. Even as his right arm was replaced, he did not consider his battle on Mimbin a loss. For now, he knew that Skywalker was more than an opportunity for greater power, he was the solution to his greatest obstacle. He's the one person who can help me overthrow the Emperor. Vader had never discussed Luke Skywalker with the Emperor, but he did not rule out the possibility that his master had learned the name of the rebel pilot who had destroyed the Death Star. It was only a matter of time before the Emperor broached the subject. Even though Vader had yet to discover any significant information about Skywalker's heritage, he did sense that there was a strong connection between them, and not only because they'd both been trained by Obi-Wan, but Vader didn't simply want more information. He wanted Skywalker, wanted him immediately, and wanted him alive. And there's never anything in Empire where Vader's like, so we meet for the first time. Exactly, yeah. 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 And, and I, I also, I always point to the scene in uh, Return of the Jedi where Luke takes Vader out and chops his hand off and it's, you know, we clearly see that he had a mechanical hand. I think all that plays into the battle in this book you know that that vader loses an arm in this fight so 
Yeah, I, I really don't have a, a problem with it. To me, it, it, it fits very nicely, you know, in a, in a nice little, you know, a nice little package, you know, going from Star Wars to Splinter to Empire to, to Jedi. And even uh, I would even throw uh, Shadows of the Empire in there. So, yeah, yeah at I, least at least Vader didn't turn out to be Baron Tag again. <laughs> yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, I think it fares better than a lot of others. Than I, I, I like this more than any other Star Wars book I've ever read. Yes. And, and like, I think Alan Dean Foster was better at coming up with Star Wars names for things and people than George Lucas's. Yeah. All the, all the names of the people and the stuff in here are, just sound like they're right out of Star Wars, you know, without being too goofy. The Wandrella, that's a great name for something. And all the characters' names and, you know, Hin and Key and Hala. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I mean, I think he ju- he had just such as a as a you know sort of old school hardcore science fiction writer. I think he really understood the material a lot, and then but it had a lot of the trappings of you know a, a chapter by chapter you know old school science fiction writer. Like it was pretty gory. It was a gritty yeah. story. You really got a feeling of a dirty, smelly swampy world and you know there's yes. lots of talk of bone and metal and plastic fusing together and limbs being torn apart and organs flying and and uh it's ruthless and and you know um Grammel is is one of the he's most sick. He's, he's one of the most Nazi like yeah Imperials you ever see he really got the idea of like yes the, the Imperials are very Nazi like you know and and Grammel has that power tripping sort of kinkiness to him, you know, and and I mean when I read this as a kid I was just shocked by the violence in it, but boy, you know, I was loving it and I couldn't believe that this was the follow up to uh Star Wars. It was pretty gritty and and But Star graphic. Wars itself is gritty and gritty, you know, but not as graphic as this. This is pretty graphic. You don't see anybody's eye plucked out on the data crystal in the movies, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Is the criminal. And like, I mean, and that's just, and that scene is just sort of boom. You know, it's it's a very actually, it's this like something out of a Tarantino film or something, you know, or out of, <laughs> you know, uh, the Dark Knight or something Dark, like yeah, that. Yeah, the pencil trick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh God. <laughs> Exactly. You want to see me make this rock disappear? <laughs> you make a good point about uh, Alan Dean Foster because I think by this time he 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 was all, uh, already an accomplished sci-fi author in his own right, but he uh-huh. was also doing novelizations of popular science fiction films. I know that he did the uh, the first Alien film. Uh-huh. And he actually, I think he also did Outland. Basically, he would do any big tentpole production. Um, so he, I think he had a grasp on how to serve a property, and, but also deliver a, a sci-fi kind of visceral story. So I think that's what you're you're picking up on. And yeah. you know, to his, to his credit, I think he he still does uh, adaptations of, of. He just wrote sci-fi. the latest Terminator movie. He wrote Star Trek too. I think the, he did Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek, yeah. And yeah. he had a hand, although he did not write the novel. He did have something to do with Star Trek: The Motion Picture, or maybe screenwriter, or uh, you know, screenplay writer. Some, do you know that, Mike? He, I think he largely concocted the story that was yeah. in Thy Image, which became right. Right. the motion yeah. picture. I mean, you're yeah. absolutely right. He didn't 
like Roddenberry wrote the novel himself, for as far as anybody. I mean, that, that that's <laughs> right. Much oh, uh, Starman. He also did Starman, the novelization of the Jeff Bridges Starman movie. And he, he ghost wrote uh, the Star Wars novelization he from '76. Yes. yes. Yep. Which is a very good. It is. It is, yeah. I think he's a fantastic writer. It's funny though, because Chris and I, when we were uh, uh, just kind of playing over what we were going to talk about in this episode a day or two ago, um, he was saying something similar to what he just said about you know he kind of set the template and all that. But I said, I, I commented to him. I said, you know, it's kind of funny though that he did come back and revisit the Star Wars uh, novel EU at least one more time that I'm aware of with a novel. I reviewed it gosh quite a number of episodes ago now and i cannot remember the name of it but it was a prequel uh eu story with obi-wan and anakin and if my memory serves i think it was the adventure that is referenced in the very beginning of uh of episode two i think and i have to say i don't think it was oh yeah when someone fell, he had to save anakin from the gun darks or something like that right yeah it yes. was uh it was the space indian story is how i referred to it it was <laughs> they, they, you know yeah obi-wan and, and anakin wind up on like some space indian reservation trying to convince them that to Dances fight with jedi or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just can't remember what the heck the name of it was but I, right. I was not really thrilled with it's it star wars meets dances with wolves Ah, <laughs> oh, you're talking. You got three of the Baldwins interested. They're sniffing around. <laughs> Great. Can Splinter be considered Star Wars meets Indiana Jones? A little, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, actually. Yeah, the cover, treasure, I see that. It's Treasure Hunt, Hidden, Hidden Temple. I, I have to say, I'm ashamed to say I never heard anything about this being the backup plan for a movie, but now that I've just heard that, it makes so much sense, because I've always wondered if wh that you had Hala as sort of the Obi-Wan Kenobi sit-in, and Hin and Ki as sort of the, um, and she was a little bit of Han Solo too, and Hin and Ki is the, the Wookiees, and I was like, why not have Han Solo and Chewie in this instead, you know? I am so glad they're not, yeah. though. I have to be honest with well, you. I really am glad that Han and Chewie are not in this book. I could see I could see if, if this was going to be a low-budget one, it would that would save some money not having Harrison yeah, Ford if, in if it. I remember, yeah, those were all practical uh, considerations that, that for some reason they couldn't get, you know, uh, Alec Guinness or, and, or Harrison Ford. I, I remember in reading the, the backstory, and I'm forgetting the specifics, but basically... They had a number of limitations due to budget, due to schedule, etc. So that's why key people are missing mm -hmm. from this story. Right, and and it's it's low budget, but it's all mood and tone that would you know if it, you know the se the sequence in the cave where they're on the giant lily pad going through the cave would have been a really neat visual scene in a movie. Now let me. Not, uh, only, I, is, not only is Han not in this, but he doesn't even get any credits. Not for a mention. For, He's for mentioned the, the one time. There's an illusion but, at the end. But they don't give yeah. him credit for the for his role in the Battle of Yavin because Darth Vader comes and he's like, "I should have known it was you, Luke Skywalker, who shot down my Tie Fighter." And I'm like, <laughs> "No, he didn't. <laughs> he was in front of you." I what think you he think actually happened? said, "Shot up my Tie Fighter," which yeah. is a very redneck phrase for <laughs> "shot up my Tie Fighter." He like, shot up my Tie Fighter, you some bitch. I had tie, I had my new set of Tie Fighter balls on there. Yeah, it's like, it's right like that was Han. Give him credit. He's like, no, Luke I just, just want to. 
I just want to clarify before we are flooded with letters going, what the hell is Scott's problem with Han Solo? Now he doesn't like Han. No, 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 no. I love Han Solo. Don't get me wrong. I love Han Solo. Love Chewbacca. Favorite characters. Yeah, I, no problem with them whatsoever. It's just I had the impression, and I, I don't know where to blame, put the blame. I don't know if it was on the Star Wars comics. I don't know if it was on the Russ Manning Star Wars strip in the newspaper or where, but I I just never had the impression that he stuck that around. Han and, and Chewie were going to stick around. That when when there was finally the announcement that yes we're going to continue there's going to be sequels to star wars i was thrilled and elated to find out that han and chewie were going to be in them because i just didn't expect them to be i mean han kind of even uh, after they gave him a medal in the temple on yavin (laughs) yeah but you know even even that i mean han just kind of winds up in that adventure you know what i mean he's he's not part of the plan he he's not a rebel he's not fighting for the cause he's just this poor schmuck that they hired for transportation and he winds no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a smuggler right but i mean I, he knew what he was doing. At the end. i mean that's the whole point of him coming back in the battle of the death star right I you're, mean, you're right so you gotta remember he, I was, had a, he had a character arc yes. i was nine years old so to right. my I'll, mind I'll he was you some slack then <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not trying but believe me i'm not trying to belittle hans you know what han did and hans accomplishment i'm not trying to take away the fact he was clearly a hero and did a heroic thing however you know there was that element of he was just caught up in circumstance and when the smoke cleared he would be like okay it's been real you know and he would split and that would be the last they saw of han solo and and everything that we had post star wars that i can recall right quick off the top of my head you know with splinter with like i say the newspaper strips with the with the marvel star wars all three of those sort of match that i mean none of them included han solo han in the marvel star wars went off and did his own thing he was he wasn't in the strip the at least the russ manning strip for a long time he didn't come in until that story uh was it princess leia servant girl of the empire whatever the hell the name of that story was and then you know like you say he's he's you know barely referenced at all in this novel so i just that was just the impression that I had, you know what well, I mean? Well, to be fair, to add, you know, even in Empire, at the beginning of the movie, he's getting ready to head off and finally settle his debt to Java. Exactly. So, so I guess, you know, it's not... It's, and plus, there were those three novels by Brian Daly that I actually had as a kid and never yep. read, but they were solo adventures of... Uh, <laughs> yes, they were. They were, you know, standalone adventures of Han and Chewie, and uh, I, I don't know if they were set before or after star wars but uh, they're before star wars just before yeah okay you want to hear a weird coincidence just i mean sheer happenstance last weekend i happened to get um the hardcover first editions to both splinter of the mind's eye and that first uh what was it stars Stars in for a buck at the flea market hey at that note i think we should take a break we're about at that point and We'll come back. We'll, I will pick up from there with some more Han Solo bashing from Scott Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of my family. That's me. I'm Scott. There's Chris, my wonderful co-host. And our children, Josh, Jaina, John David, Jill, Jessa, Giuseppe, Ganymede, Jello, Guadalupe, Gallagher, Gomer, Goober, SpongeBob, Shenandoah, Tumor, Tupac, San Francisco, Betty Joe, Betty Lou, Betty Sue, 
Billy Jean, Billy Joe, Bobby Joe, Bobby Sue, Bobby Jean, Bobby Joe, Optimus Prime, Yahoo, Condoleezza Couscous, Cosmo, Dr. No, Shaniqua, Adolph, Cletus, Festus, Bocephus, Coolidge, Cooter, Del Monte, Enos, Eros, Beavis, Hemi, Harley Davidson, Mork, Socrates, Domino, and Strawberry Daiquiri. If you lost count, that's 17 in all. Plus, we just won another three on eBay. We're not a typical family. In fact, you might say we're goddamn freaks. The children run naked, filthy, barefoot, and hungry while we mostly watch TV or surf the internet. As for school, we'll occasionally read to them from Who's Who or the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. To make ends meet, we've taught the children to shoplift. Plus, we sell tickets so that folks can stare at them on the weekends. And even though we haven't any parental qualifications, sense of responsibility, or formal education, somehow we make it all work out. We're Two True Freaks and Counting. All right, we're back, and uh, we just got done with hearing about how Scott Gardner hates Han Solo and wishes he was dead. Stop it! <laughs> and uh, that, you know, that they would burn his corpse with a Wookiee kindling. Anybody got anything to add to that? <laughs> yeah, I need a new co-host. <laughs> Taking applications. Well, I, I'll actually, I'll jump in on that, because... I wish Star Wars was Han's story and not Luke's story. You know, I wish that it was... I I wanted to find out about his heroic journey. You know, from... from, I guess initially he was kind of like an idealistic young man. He joined the Empire. Things went wrong. He he went rogue. Like, that to me was a lot more interesting than Luke. And, you know, as a kid, and, you know, guys feel free to to you know jump in but you always wanted to be Han you didn't really want to be Luke because Luke was kind of dorky and he was a farm kid and you know and the first time we see Han he, he basically murders a, a guy that you didn't you know he, the, the other guy wasn't going to kill him as far as we knew and you're like that guy's just dangerous man I like that guy so just imagine Star Wars if it was Han's story well That's we we saying. We know we we we've seen everything interesting Luke's ever done, you know. There's there's just season after season of moisture farming before that, you know, and going to the Tashi station and. But I whining. was going to Tashi station to pick up some power converters. Yeah, and he goes to the Tashi station and he looks at the girls and goes, oh, they're so hot." And then he watches his friends like pick him up and go off with him to the cantina, and then he goes home and Uncle Owen yells at him, and that's about that was about it. Nine, yeah, nine years. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, who wants that life? Yeah, exactly. No wonder he was <laughs> he was you know on a, the first freighter out of there. Nine year old through through fifteen year old Scott would have disagreed with you guys very very strongly. I liked the fact that everything we saw, you know, from the cover of this novel to the records that came out, everything said you know from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. I loved that. But you know, you're you're absolutely right. Looking back on it now, I do think Han would have had an excellent story to tell. I like the idea that 
you know, at some point in his history, he was an Imperial. You know, he was whatever he was, an officer, a stormtrooper, something. And I really wish that we had gotten the uh, the the story, you know, the backstory of of his turning. Because I, I could be wrong, but my impression always was that the, the turning point for Han was when he uh, was somehow involved with uh, the Wookiee thing. You know, when, when the Empire was enslaving the Wookiees. That's right. And he became friends with Chewbacca and freed Chewbacca. I always had the impression that he was an Imperial all through that. But it was his friendship with Chewbacca and saving Chewbacca's life. That's where he basically went rogue from the, you know, from the uh, being an Imperial. That would have been an awesome movie. Or, I'm surprised or it hasn't been a book. A, it has been. I, I think it has been oh. a book. Yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't read it, but I think it has been a book. There's Shows another Han Solo's trilogy, not the one that Brian Daly did in the uh-huh. 70s and 80s, but there was ones about Easy 10 years ago. Huh? Yeah, I read the yeah. first one and it was really good. I never picked up the other two though, just because I never got around to it. I, I've been meaning to just because you know, like I said, I'm I'm interested in that story because I, I think I'm getting that. Gosh, I'm it's so fuzzy in my head now, but I think I'm getting that from like I, I want to say it was like a Time Magazine interview with George Lucas back in the day or something like that. Because I think it may have been the same place where he also dropped the the hints that stuck with Chris and I all all through our growing up of how Vader became scarred. It was in a fight with Kenobi over like a volcano or something. Oh, yeah. And I, th- and I was, think... I think that might have also been the same interview where he said that there's like nine or twelve movies. Yeah, 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 exactly. Nine, it was going to be nine movies of, you know, there was going to be three sets of three, uh, three movies and the droids were going to be the only characters that were going to go through the whole saga and yeah i think it was all part of that one big that was the magazine or something that was the beginning of the whole like where people started accusing george lucas of trying to make people insane because (laughs) after a certain part of time he tried to sort of wipe that rub that one under the carpet and denied he ever said all that stuff because you know, he didn't want to be committed to nine movies, and it was like, nine right. movies? And I said six movies, you know? I'm tired. Was it <laughs> so George tired. who said, uh, was it George who said to read The Secret History of Star Wars? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was that, that's a good book, and it, uh, it takes all those George Lucas quotes of what he said over the years and puts them on top of each other, and you could just see the contradictions unravel, and no, we're not a Lucas hating or bashing podcast. We're just, come no. on, you know, I mean, no. we see this stuff in front of us. I mean, we're not going to pretend that George Lucas wasn't, you know, changing his story over the years. So, you know, in, in Lucas's defense, you know, and I found this, you know, uh, working on my own stuff that sometimes you, you say one thing and then a month later or a week later or a year later, you find out that things have changed, whether the creative direction of your property or uh, the circumstances or the market or whatever. So you do often find yourself without intent going against what you said previously. So, you know, that that happens often. So I think a lot of that may come from the fact that we're working kind of in a in a industry that's always in flux. Right. Mm -hmm. The bounty hunter on Orrin Mandel changed his mind. (laughs) If, if yeah, I was in his position, I'd be lying like a rug. I'd be making up stuff left and right, you know, just to keep, just to make it well, fun that's and just to keep you anyway. Well, it keeps things fun and it keeps people guessing, and it actually you might even get a good idea out of it, you know. And, yeah, and and we were, you know, we were talking about that that big article that blew our minds, where he was saying, you know, oh, there, there it's going to be a nine movie cycle, and I've even heard twelve movie cycle, 
and I'm all for that. Like, please, like, do another three films. Like, we'll we'll come and watch them. We'll, we'll be excited. I'm not sure what the reality of that is. I'm also not sure of where it would fall in the whole canon of, of the story. Would it be a prequel to the prequels or sequel well, to the sequels? I'm not sure, but I, I'd watch it. It was supposed to be the post a generation after Star Wars was supposed to be the next yeah. three, the way he described it. So it would have had, you know, the children of Han and Leia, and which I guess has been covered in, in books. In so, novels. So if he made that into a movie, it would be... I don't know how good Star Wars movies would fare as adaptations of already written novels that everybody knows. Yeah. You know, if you wanted a new Star Wars trilogy, you'd want to develop it in secret like all the other ones, you know, and have a story that nobody knows what's going to happen. If you hey, think the Karen If you think the Karen Travis fans got mad about the Clone Wars thing, right. can you imagine if they did a post Jedi movie and then just like within the first 10 minutes contradicted <laughs> every single book like have like they'd be like, "Oh, Han, you know that we can't have children. I'm infertile or something." <laughs> or, right. Just like contradict, and then yeah. because of the way that Star Wars is, they would find a way to tie that into continuity with the books, because that's what Star Wars does. Everything's in continuity, no matter what they say. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's that that's a that's a good point. Like, let's let's address that for a second. What is everyone's you know kind of uh, reaction to the whole canon continuity, etc.? Because you know when we were first exposed to Star Wars. My philosophy, and I think someone else mentioned this, is like, oh, that doesn't count. That's just kind of, you know, like some of the comics and the novels. But now we're being told, and this started in the 90s, that, oh, this this is part of the canon. This is the stories. So I just want to see what, what you, you know, you guys as fans think about that. What are your reactions? Do you, do you sign on for the canon or do you say, you know, no, that, that doesn't plug into the films? I'll give you my take on it is that I, I see it two ways for me personally. Um, I'm not so invested in the EU. I, I like what I'm getting into because I'm really just starting to delve into that fully. I like what I'm reading for the most part. I, I like the stuff that's out there, but at the same rate, if that is some sort of barrier to Lucas continuing his saga you know, that he's afraid of, of pissing off fans by, by countering, you know, the EU novels and the EU comics and all that, then I would hope that my fellow fans could get over that and allow new films, new live action films to come out and be able to live with it if he had to counter continuity somehow, you know, in that. Because he's always, you know, he's made no bones about the fact that ultimately the movies tr trump everything else. You know, he's always said that, that he tries to work within what he's allowed to be written about his universe, but ultimately it's his universe. That universe is the films. And, you know, sorry if it contradicts some comic or book that got written out there. So... I could live with that myself. I'd rather see more movies rather than see him hold back because you'd be afraid of some fan backlash or something like that. But on the flip side, um, how do I put this delicately? With, <laughs> you with, probably with, won't. I probably <laughs> won't. You're right. With, with the way fans are right now and, and Lucas bashing seems to be such a, a, a common and popular thing right now. I don't think we're going to see him make that decision for a long time to come until 
the fan attitudes pendulum swings back the other way because I don't think he wants to do another hugely unpopular thing with the property. You know I what I mean? Know, I don't know if the fan I, I don't know if the fans attitude even affects him. It shouldn't affect him at all. I mean, maybe if he wants to pay attention to what it is, but I don't think it should ever affect his and I think when it comes right down to it, you know, the fans don't own it and yeah. And if he's, you know, come on, if, if 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 what you say is true, he wouldn't be throwing out that he's going to do a sitcom <laughs> with, nice. with Star Wars characters, you know. I this mean, is true. Talk about talk about just painting a big target on you. <laughs> you know, this is it's either going to be the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. I'm 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 just happy that the potential is there. You know, that's uh-huh. it, the, it's great that there's a potentially great Star Wars thing there. I mean, I, I you just can't you can't you know. There's a lot of people already bemoaning it, and it's like, how can you? So far, George Lucas has been doing pretty good lately, as far as you know, Clone Wars goes. Has been you know, I it's look awesome. forward to every episode. And the stuff that Seth Green did, the funny Star Wars stuff, was hilarious. So, yeah, what what what, what is there to to complain about? I don't know. I I think people get way too. I my my new motto is going to be: stop griping about the food that you're served and start learning how to cook. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Make your make your own stuff. Like yeah, make, make your own shows and your create new properties. Yeah. Absolutely. You know I try not to sweat Star Wars continuity anymore anyway, because all the major errors like that Star Wars Marvel annual where Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker are on a mission together in flashback, <laughs> they were able to they were able to tie that into continuity. Episode <laughs> epi- Episode two comes out and then contradicts every single Boba Fett's backstory ever done. They were able to tie all those together in the end. Uh, Palpatine says, oh, the Republic that stood for a thousand years when all the other stuff had references to 10,000 years, they tied that in. So it doesn't worry me. And you can see elements yeah. of the EU in the stuff anyway. You know, the people say, oh, well, the comics don't count. Then how come a holocrons and, you know, the Clone Wars? That's from Dark Empire. So right. Yeah, it, it all it all feeds into each other. I think as I, long as people have fun with it. I mean, it's like a. It all sort of stems from Sherlock Holmes fans trying to tie yeah. together all the contradictions in those stories. And they and Sherlock Holmes fans call it playing the game, which I think is a great way to... So if you're having fun playing the game, tying together supposed discrepancies, then that's cool. But, you know, if you're getting all worked up about it and uh, writing hate mail to people, that, yeah. that's probably <laughs> often, too far. Often, so. play, often playing the game can turn into bleeding the life out of, too, you know? <laughs> yes, Lucas can go back and do episode seven and have it begin with an 80 year old Leia running sure. into Luke and saying, I haven't seen you since the battle of Endor. <laughs> well, I'm a turtle. Han and I never had any children. They can do that movie. And the EU people would still find a way to tie everything sure. together. Yeah. <laughs> Time travel, of, you know, or whatever. Yes. They, 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 they would tie it in. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, I, I do want to see him do more uh, of the of the live action features i i do want to see post return of the jedi films and uh i i I hold out the hope that it's going to happen one day i really do i i think eventually at some point he'll come back to it and i think it may all be part of some some secret plan (laughs) carrie fisher is gonna be a hut (laughs) (laughs) sorry oh that's messed up (laughs) 
<laughs> oh Cold man. Cold hearted. Mark Hamill will still be lusting after her. He's like, I don't care if that's I, my sister. I, <laughs> she I fell mean, asleep on my hand, not that campfire. I like and it. I've never like watched it since then. A little meat on their bones anyway. We need to find a way to to tie this all back in to Splinter, to Splinter and get back That was a good book. One of those uh, Two True Freaks episodes, you talked about this book and you mentioned the stuff with Luke and Leia. So I came to it thinking, oh, what's this going to be? Is it going to be a real obstacle to canon or to playing the game or whatever? I don't find it, given the fact that if you're playing in-universe, that they don't know they're related yeah. to each other. I don't find anything in the book... Uh, obscene or inappropriate yeah. or and and i Only think Alan when you know does a great job of uh describing the feelings you know if, if you're a guy with unrequited love for a girl i think he gets those feelings nailed down pretty well and looking at yeah you know the relationship through luke's eyes most of the time so I, you know i figure they'll they'll find out eventually and that all goes by the wayside so <laughs> you gotta wonder like that to me you got to wonder at Star Wars Thanksgiving or whatever or Life Day, is this ever like this uncomfortable like you know at the table like it's just like you know no one's allowed to talk about the fact that Luke and Leia used to kind of have a thing for each other. Well, I always took that look that Han that totally befuddled, oh. dumbstruck look that he gives Leia at the conclusion of Return of the Jedi was the moment where he's reconciling that in his mind where he's thinking but i've seen you plant a kiss on him a couple of times you know hey, so how long have you known this yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah take me a lot of trouble <laughs> but you know ultimately like like mike says i i don't have any problems with the the you know the the quote-unquote mushy stuff between luke and leia in this book because i don't think that there's any scene in here that's any worse than Leia, you know, really planting one right. on Luke in the hospital in, you know, on Hoth in the Which beginning of Empire. Which so. to get under Han's skin. So. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not like, you know, it says, you know, that they, you know, they go behind the trees and do it or something. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all puppy love stuff. So, yeah, I think it's really innocent. He does try to stare at her changing. That part I always well, remember as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> This this brings this brings up something. I thought Leia was a little out of character in this, even from Star Wars. I think she was a little too played off as a princess rather than as you know. I mean, really, in Star Wars, she pretty much proved herself to be a fighter. And in this, well, she fights in this book, though. I she mean, does, but there's a lot of um, like when she's they're kind in, of a brat. when they're in the restaurant and she won't play up to being the slave girl, and she and she totally blows her cover at the end but she almost blows her cover like three times in quick succession yeah. before that just because she's being yeah bratty and it's like yeah, you'd I think she I would she she's a princess yeah but she was more sophisticated i mean she's going and doing you know missions of to go and try to recruit people to the rebellion and yeah and yeah she's she has she's, that line in the she knows she's more sophisticated in 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 being undercover and being in a hostile situation. I didn't I didn't buy that she was being so princessy and stuck up a little bit. Well, that that's a good point. And I think it may be that this was being written before uh, Star Wars was finished, before you know the film uh, came out. So characters weren't established. Probably Alan Dean Foster didn't have a chance to see a finished cut and. 
didn't know how her her character was evolving but uh, i i agree i agree she she acted out of character a number of times i don't know i i have to disagree i i don't see it i really don't i think that if you if you watch the original star wars i think that that this book is closer to her portrayal in that as kind of snooty, kind of aristocratic, whereas in Empire, she's not exactly out on the battlefield with you know her fellow rebels, but she's a little more in the trenches, if you know what I mean. I, she, she's not the aloof princess I wish in she... the second movie as like she was in the... I th- in the first one, to me, she... she to me seems very much like the the haughty princess you know what i mean she is a little bit but she's still this one this one i think he i wish he would have played up a little more he did play it up but i think instead of the the snooty haughty side he should have played up the traumatized from her session of torture on the death star i like that aspect of it yeah i did too you know when she sees darth vader she's just like god give me that blaster like starts taking pot shots at him you know right instantly she and you know has a couple flashbacks to you know that that moment and that and you could tell you know you could tell it really screwed her up which i thought was a great addition to this story because it was something that was just sort of glossed over in the in the first movie you see she was tortured and then you know it's never mentioned after that. So I thought that was uh, a, a a neat thing to throw in, very realistic she, thing to throw in. She's a 19-year-old politician who was captured, tortured, watched everyone that she knew died, uh-huh. and I mean basically went from being royalty, everyone pampering on her, to now she's in this underground freedom fight. It's a it's a culture shock, and she's yeah. a, she's a teenager. She says at one point in the book, "Do you know who I am?" Like my God, are we dealing with you know Nicole Richie here? (laughs) I was never able to put my finger on what it was about her in this book that was out of character. Because yeah, she's a little whiny and uppity, but so was she in Star Wars, and so was she in Empire. You're gonna attack them, right? But there there was something different here, and I've never been able to place my finger on it, but there's something a little out of character on her. They have her rough when she needs to be and vulnerable when she needs to be, but. I don't know. I I never felt that they got the feel for her exactly right. Hmm. I, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? I, I I hadn't thought about it really until Chris brought it up, but I can see his point. That uh, so yeah, I, I guess I tend to agree. I, I I like the fact that she gets to fight a lot and do a lot for herself in this book, and you know, uh, I love the, the bit at the end where she's wielding a lightsaber against Vader. I, I so wish that had been in one of the films. I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, I, so, so I guess as I was reading it, she struck me as sort of that blend of princess and yet, you know, not afraid to grab the blaster and take action like she is in the films. But I, I can see the point where maybe there's some points where she's out of character. Luke's uh, pretty dead on, but uh, there are some points too where, especially in some of the dialogue, there's just some, some moments where, doesn't sound like something Luke would say, and you know, but that's as I'm sure uh, was a function of the film not being finished or the characters not being fully fleshed out or working from notes or whatever. Um, my, so my, none of the characterizations of the established characters really bothered me uh, overly much. My only, uh, and these are extreme nitpicks, but my only problems with uh, with the characters in this is. I had a little bit of a credibility problem with Luke actually being able to speak Yuzum. Yeah. Only yeah. because, you know, let's face facts, 
Luke's kind of a space hick. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. He, he grew up out in the sticks on this backwater planet. I mean, yeah, it makes speak Huddies. Come on. Yeah, exactly. I can see him speaking Huddies <laughs> or something, but Yuzum just seems a little bit, you know, it seem, makes him seem a little more learned than I would imagine he actually would be. But I don't know. I guess that's just my, you know, my, my prejudice or whatever. But also... And again, this isn't necessarily a character thing. It's not necessarily a, a, a fluke or, or a continuity issue. It just kind of bugs me a little bit that Luke can swim and Leia can't. You know, I mean, Luke, you know, I can see Leia not being able to swim, but why can Luke swim? He grew up on a freaking desert planet. It just doesn't really work for me. I don't, I don't understand. He used that. to take dips in the collection pools of moisture. That's <laughs> That, that that oil bath that he was lowering three PO in, Uncle Owen used Uncle Owen used to dunk him in there and say, "You gotta learn, boy." <laughs> just toss him in, just like you learned, Scott. But yeah, Uncle exactly. Owen was gonna go to Tosh. You said, "Shut up." Yeah, it seemed like Alderaan had a good amount of water on it. Well, and yeah. There's that thing in the Marvel comic where Luke and Leia are jumping into the uh, water on Drexel, and he's like, "Leia, I can't swim." Oh, you're right. right. So then right. the, yeah. everyone wrote in complaining because here yep. it was the opposite. So <laughs> the the letter writers later said something like, "Oh well, the reason was is because uh, Splinter uh, the Marvel comic took place first, and then Luke learned to swim by Splinter, but Leia's post traumatic." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did try to yeah they tried to hash it out, and it didn't and quite. Know, maybe they waterboarded her. <laughs> oh. Those guys have the, the most thankless job in, in yeah. fandom. Trying to answer your snotty little <laughs> misses, <Nope>. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Luke, Mr. Lucas, you sir have ruined my entire childhood. Well, <laughs> now there's like a million Star Wars comics and novels, and they're trying really, really hard to keep them all in continuity. Back then, oh. there was just the newspaper strip, yeah, the comic, and Splinter, and they couldn't even keep it together there. <laughs> Back then, people really didn't or at least the people who were putting that stuff out were not really thinking of it i don't think as a, a matter of anybody would even keep track of the continuity you know I yeah. Think, yeah. right i think they were right. think, except for maybe lucas you know they were thinking ah you know it's something for the little kids like it it's the flash <laughs> the, they love that flash gordony stuff yeah r2d2 c3po general zarkov whatever kids <laughs> love that shit <laughs> I was just, as a kid, I was just thankful that there was more Star Wars. And I've tried so hard to hold on to that piece of my childhood, of just being thankful. You know, like, because I know that when we were at that Star Wars panel, and, and I know George can attest to this, there were a lot of people that were hung up on the tiniest of details, and that was their They're downright their grumpy problem. about it. Yeah, that yeah, was there were their some problem. angry folks at that panel. <laughs> yeah, about Clone Wars, and I'm, I just... I'm sorry. I want to grab some of these people and just shake them until they see the light. It's like, God damn it, Star nothing? Wars is on television. You know, how awesome is that? Get over the, the, the little shit. Star Wars well, is on television and it's not the Ewok adventure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, be, being on both sides of that argument, you know, I've been an angry fan and I, I also have I've worked on stuff that makes fans angry. I, I, I'm not going to take that away from fandom. I think that we need fandom oh, to, sure. to keep us on our toes. So, you know, I welcome it and I, I challenge, you know, I channel that negative energy into something positive in that, you know. They're like the watchdogs to... of the whole thing, really. Yeah. 
yeah, and it's, you know, unless you come up and spit on me, you know, I'll definitely welcome your input. <laughs> <laughs> what did everyone think of Luke and Leia's suicide pact? Yeah. I thought it was suitably gritty. Oh, you know what? You're, I thought you were making the a novel. joke. You're no, it's, right. there, it's really no, in there. They, they, I forgot it's, about it's, that. It's, yeah, I think I, it. I think it fits in the in in the because you got to remember when this novel came out, Darth Vader was really perceived as just the baddest, badass, satanic. You know, really <laughs> remember George Lucas was writing things for Empire where where Darth Vader went back to his underground fire cave with animals yeah, chained up and, shit, right yeah. you know and and so you know when when i saw the cover of this and darth vader's in it and there's luke and leia are gonna fight him oh my god you know how that how are they gonna do that they're gonna die you know i mean <laughs> well, just this... his his presence alone at 10 years old was enough to just be strike terror into your heart so right well this is the first time movies included that darth vader kills a subordinate because he never yeah. actually uh, kills a, enough of this. Lord Vader, right. release him. He kills Grandma, uh, and this was before Empire, where he's just choking people left and right. Right, right. So that thing which everyone sees as this uh, essential part of Vader's character, you know, killing his subordinates for failing, that started here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's there good. are a lot of parallels that I found rereading this again with Empire. Things that happen here in Empire. Yeah, just just so many of them. Yes. And I, I, I almost wish I'd kept a list because there are a ton of. Well, um, you got him crash landing on a swamp planet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you've got early, you know, I mean, manifestations of the force like telekinesis and stuff, which wasn't really in Star Wars at all. It was more of a new wavy ag touchy-feely sort of you know get in touch with your surroundings sort of thing where it here it was like sling things around you know and that and that 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 preceded him uh, was an empire the first time when he when he pulls his lightsaber over to him is the first time you see the force used like that telekinetically you mean yeah, yeah to move yeah. to actually well, to move something i don't think there was screen, anything in star yes. wars they talk about it maybe in star yeah, wars now, on screen yes but in the uh in, the in issue and stuff like one that. i think it yeah it must have been issue one because it still had the wonky chicken art we see vader levitate a coffee cup to himself so. oh you're yeah. right you're That's right, right. <laughs> yeah you're right exactly yeah I, i'm imagining he must use a straw is uh, it's all i can imagine there's got to be like a i straw think he's like a mr coffee grip. where he just pours it into a little opening in the top of its head and, it, Maybe and then it goes gurgle 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 through why are we all assuming that he was going to drink the coffee? Maybe he was just taking it away from one of the other officers there just to go. be a dick. Uh, why do we assume it was coffee? You don't he, was gonna pour it. he was going to pour it in Moti's lap. It was, it was hydraulic fluid for his, for his joints. He just pours it. <laughs> no in coffee for oil you. Can. Yeah, he, oil just, can. he just checked his dipper and was low uh, half a quart. Or he was getting it for Tarkin because he was basically Tarkin's like, personal secretary that whole movie <laughs> exactly. anyway. Vader, give me some coffee. Well, oh, which is funny about that. Will somebody get ago. me a croissant before I chew my fucking hand off, Vader? <laughs> because the, within the first pages of this book, they call uh, Vader Tarkin's henchman. Yeah, because that's how kind of how Vader was perceived back then, more of the henchman. And or... he was called like an attack dog, or, or call your, yeah. Well, you and I talked about that not long ago, Chris. That that's actually one of the things I kind of like about the the first Star Wars is that 
you know, and I think the fact that Peter Cushing plays Tarkin really adds to this, that it's very much the Frankenstein and monster Frankenstein relationship where, where Vader is, you know, the, the monster enforcer to the mad scientist kind of thing. I really liked that. Although I like seeing Vader step up to be the primary bad guy in in Empire. Yeah. I never really had the feeling that he was the primary bad guy in Star Wars as a kid. I really felt I think Tarkin be- was the bad well, guy. Well, between Star Wars and Empire, I think a lot of those bad guys in between where Vader was then and where he was in Empire uh, <laughs> met with unfortunate yeah, ends. they died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think at, at that point also, if you're a general, I think the euphemism for death was he went to serve Lord Vader, basically. Yeah. Well, not that guy at the beginning who says, holding her is dangerous. You know, everyone was talking down the Vader. You yeah. know, Leia, that officer. But in Empire, it's like, oh, no, that's Vader. Don't go near him. Yeah. So Empire, the, the perception was... kind of changes between the movies. Yeah, and I but but Grammel definitely doesn't pull a Tarkin on Vader in this. He's, he's definitely cow... You know, Grammel has everybody under his heel till Vader shows up and... Vader doesn't have yeah. much to say about to him until Grammel he guts him. Grammel kind of pussies out to that guy that he calls on the hollow thing, though. Oh, yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. going to be his ticket off of, of Vimpon, yeah. right? Yeah. Having these prisoners in custody. And the guy who he called didn't even know who he was. Yeah, yeah. And I like how it portrayed Stormtroopers as being just sort of conscripts where Luke's having his little, like, seditious conversation with the Stormtrooper and yeah. trying to trying to apply him a little bit even as you know and the stormtrooper finally like is sort of going you know starting to get along with him and then snaps back into his cop mode and is just like move along (laughs) troublemaker they kind of allude to female stormtroopers here because when they're when they're attacking the co-waste cave they're like it's they say something like it's all the empire's best men and women and i was like wait a sec and i had to read that line again i was like female entirely Oh, I I'm missed like, that, yeah. Imagining, like, a Stormtrooper outfit with, like, boob armor and stuff. All right, all right, boob armor. I like that. It's We're hitting that point to go out. We'll come back with the feminine <laughs> aspect of and our favorite and our least favorite parts and some more of, uh, yes, boob armor. <laughs> Yes, Master Yoda. I've been having dreams. They're so real. Premonitions. Telling you something. Always in motion is the future. And many possible futures. There are. Okay, we're back for the final segment of the show, and we're just going to go over our favorite moments of Splinter the Mind's Eye, favorite moments and biggest nitpicks. And George, unfortunately, has to leave us at this point, so we're going to let him run first with his uh, closing thoughts on Splinter the Mind's Eye. Right on. Thanks, man. Um, uh, One of my favorite things, actually, is relative to the comic book, which was uh, Leah's outfit. It was like a like a spelt black kind of ninja bodysuit. And uh, I thought that was awesome. That especially. was my favorite part of the comic. <laughs> so, so that's because you're a perv. <laughs> hey, we share that. Okay, we're good on that. 
<laughs> now um, you were you were saying on the break that there actually is a female stormtrooper figure now. Yeah, there was a there was an excellent comic in the EU. Uh, I think it was like a, a one shot about a troop of stormtroopers, um, and they had a female stormtrooper, and they made um, I think it's called Joker Squad. They made um, a special box set with with all of those troopers, and yes, there is a girl stormtrooper action figure, which is awesome. And of course, I had to run out and buy. I've definitely got to keep an eye out for that. I gotta I gotta have that. <laughs> we all gotta have that. <laughs> biggest and, uh, uh, biggest nitpicks or anything like that? Nitpick, and, and this is something we, we spoke about a little bit, is that, you know, when, when Vader is confronting Luke, uh, he kind of trips. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's like, man, like, especially when you see Empire and you see what he can do, you're like, that just, it didn't work for me. It, it, it just felt very, very off. Whoa, you know, whoa. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of little things that felt off and then when you stack them all together like the whole thing kind of left a sour taste in my mouth and again i didn't read the book i just read the comic but again it, it just it felt like it didn't belong in in my star wars as it were Ooh. we're gonna oh. send you a copy of the book Yes, yes, we are definitely going to send you the book because the book is awesome. I've got yeah. If, if, if all you've read is the is the comic adaption, then you, uh, you know, like they like they said with the Superman two trailer way back in the day, then you haven't you haven't read the whole thing or you haven't seen the whole thing. So yeah, we will send you a copy of the book because right. it's mega awesome. Right. At least I think so. Anyway, maybe maybe it won't sway you, but <laughs> I, I like the comic adaption, and uh, and maybe we'll we'll have a little bit of time at the end to actually go into the the adaptation a little bit. I like it, but it's I think it's a it's a pale interpretation of of the book. For one thing, it, it needed at least two more issues to really capture everything of of the of the novel. It's very uh, encapsulated. Condensed. Yeah, 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 very much so. But hey, George, thank you for joining us, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to be with us for this, and I hope you uh, had a good time. Thank you, nice. guys, as always. Pleasure. Nice meeting you, George. Yeah, absolutely, George. Yeah, definitely. Good luck with everything, and let's let's do this again and nitpick uh, about something else Star Wars related. I'm sure uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about, regardless of what the subject is. Absolutely, we're going to let you. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> we'll let you pick the next one, Jordan. We'll let you uh, dig out a favorite, uh, uh, any any kind of geek projects you want to, and uh, and we'll uh, discuss that. That the, the Boba Fett episode, the eight hour long podcast. Excellent. <laughs> that would be excellent. <laughs> right on. Thanks again, guys, and be well. Take, Take care, care, George. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. We want to. Oh, what are we? We're we doing favorite favorite moments and biggest nitpicks, right? Yes, we are. All right, who? Uh, let's go with. Uh, let's see. We'll go with Mike. So, what did what did oh, you like best? Of... What did you like least? We're gonna put I, you I on the spot. I know that I have a least favorite. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, we've mentioned some of my nitpicks, so I'll just focus on the positive here at the end. I, I, I sort of stole my own thunder earlier. I really do love the idea of Princess Leia picking up a lightsaber, and I guess uh, if you want to look at it in universe, it, it could be seen as a hinting that she's, you know, force sensitive and. and has Jedi potential within her, you know, being Luke's sister and all. But I really like the idea that she's the one who first uh, attacks Vader. First, she gets off a pretty good shot at him uh, in the Koei Caves, even though she doesn't kill him. But uh, she gets a good shot off him. 
at him with her blaster and then the lightsaber fight. So so I like that a lot. My other really favorite moment is a very small one and it's a sort of blink if if you blink you miss it. But at the beginning of chapter eight, the doctor who patches up Grammel. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, I love how she gets him to uh, show clemency to the troops who messed up the whole thing, you know, as he sees it. And, you know, uh, we don't even learn her name, but at the very end of that little passage at the beginning of chapter 8, it says, you know, the doctor's task was to save lives. Whenever she could do that in the situation in which Grandma was involved, she felt a true sense of accomplishment. It's just a small little thing, but but here's this woman who, uh, you know, Foster, uh, or the narrator, alludes that something happened in her past her, her loved one died 40 years ago in a land speeder crash and she had nothing left to turn to but the empire um doesn't work with the timeline as we know it i guess but that right. aside you know she's she's stuck in this system and yet she's still doing what she can the best she can to make a difference and, and there's small differences but she's using her position as an imperial doctor to to do some good uh, I just it, you you don't see anything like that in the movies. I, I don't believe all the Imperials we meet are pretty uniformly uh, lockstep with this plan to dominate, crush the universe. So, right. uh, so I really liked uh, the Doctor's character, and it stuck out to me as a very nuanced yet brief. You know, a lot done in a little bit of space, and that's just one of the joys of, of a well-told story. So I I really liked that moment a lot. You can retcon the Empire date from because oh, yeah? you can just say that the Republic it kind of morphed into the Empire, so her right, perception yeah. they're they're the same entity. It's just a different okay, thing. sure, I'll buy that. <laughs> I'll play the game. <laughs> like I said, it's fun. Yeah. So. Josh. Okay, let me pull up my notes. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna try and keep this uh, a lot brief but you know there's little moments in it because that's what i note about the 40 years ago thing but like i said play the game uh there's there are some other timeline issues because for a while this was assumed that it took place very shortly after the first star wars movie but then the comic adaptation gosh darn it they just had to include a fully operational executor there yes uh-huh. so then it's like well leia has post-traumatic stress about uh so because for a while the timeline was saying you know zero years aby or whatever it is now right. they then they had to change it to two years bby which okay leia is having post-traumatic stress two years after this happened when she's been fine in those two years interim and then that guy ben essa or whatever he says to grandma ever we have a lot more work now because the uh-huh. emperor dissolved the senate well he's talking about it like it was a recent thing i like the reference to unmasked stormtroopers that was kind of cool they had to change it for the comic though because when they're spying on the mining facility, you see some unmasked stormtroopers. We get a reference to Padme, uh, the first Padme reference ever, but they don't say her name within the first page or two, because Luke's talking about all, all the people that he's. He mentions his mother. Right. Oh. It is funny how a few pages later, Luke's saying, talking about how he decided not to take an official rank or commission within the Rebel Alliance. They didn't yeah. keep that up with yeah. Commander Skywalker. <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't want to touch on some of the things that we already touched on because I got like two pages of notes. There's oh, a goodness. reference. There's a, there's a reference to Saint Elmo's fire. Yeah, I yeah, that, yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting uh, real world reference. And first, Leia killing the sport, and we talked about that. This is very interesting in a Star Wars book that all of the action takes place on one planet, 
and even episodes of the Clone yeah. Wars. That's well, they do that a lot now, but. If you're reading a full-length Star Wars book, very rarely is all the action going to take place on one planet. And that's one of the things that made this book feel very different from all the other books I was reading at the time. It was kind of a much smaller look at a world as opposed to this whole galaxy-wide thing. I thought that was interesting. You're right. I never really thought about that before. Yeah. But you're absolutely right that most Star Wars adventures have that Indiana Jones, you know, zipping all over the place feel to them. You're, you're absolutely right. I mentioned before we recorded, they make a reference to, we have no way to know if it's day or night down here in these caverns. And then they have Luke pull out a watch to look at how long they slept later. <laughs> Come on. And the time skipping in this book is weird. Like at one point it's pass in one page. And then towards the end of the book, they do it again. Just uh, the, there's lots of big time skips, which I found kind of funny. Yeah, this is this is not. I was surprised rereading this because it's been a number of years since I'd read it last. That a lot more time, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more time passes in this adventure than I remember. I mean, they're there for a long time. It's it's not just a day or two. Now, Princess Leia, who's organizing this underground freedom fight to overthrow the government of the galaxy. She doesn't want to steal clothing from a store because it's beneath her, and she cannot do something so illegal. <laughs> it's like, no, Luke, that's stealing. That's wrong. You know, you're one of the leaders of the Rebel frickin' Alliance, okay? You help blow up the whole Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> that ship has sailed. <laughs> Although light, Luke's lockpick lightsaber was pretty cool. I like that. That was one of the things I meant to comment on, was I like that the light Luke's lightsaber is actually in a funny kind of way. It's almost a character in this book because we see a lot more of the abilities. It's very versatile. It's yeah. A, yeah. A Swiss army lightsaber. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, he actually has to recharge it and hook up batteries to it and stuff like that. You know, he can change the, the length and the width of the blade. And so I really liked that. And, and I would have liked to have seen more of that incorporated into the films, to be honest. And I like that he, would invariably take a blaster and over a blaster he would always take the power out of the blaster and put it into the lightsaber. Right. He'd charge it like a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, on the creepy side of the lightsaber being adjustable, there's that line that Darth Vader makes uh, to oh, Leia. Oh, I know where you're going I mean, is he this. basically threatening to rape her with a lightsaber? I, and, and yeah. that's the second time. That, the, rape, is, <laughs> rape is threatened on Leia twice in yes. this, in this yeah. book. Yeah. But boy, I read that the first time and my my jaw dropped open. I thought, well, I, I, maybe I won't consider that canon. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that completely went over my head as a kid. But yeah, reading this again recently, I was like, what? Holy. What is he saying he's going to do? He is who's, the bad guy. So who's I mean, your daddy? <laughs> it's a family reunion. Just nobody knows that they're related. Uh, the Koei fights, where Luke has to fight that head, that Koei warrior. There's this part where Leia's like, "You better beat him, Luke, or I'm going to be super late for my meeting." And then Luke <laughs> promptly, and then Luke promptly tells Leia to get Ben's because his life is on the line. I enjoyed that. Uh, Luke and Leia's little suicide pack that was interesting. Uh, this is a lot more. Uh, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but more fatalistic or something like that. It's, sounds like i'm making up a word there then the other star wars books like they have lots of references like if luke could crash his ex closer the tree would have impaled him and killed him and 
yeah. you know, talks of suicide packs and interesting tricks with lights. You know, you don't see a lot of that in the other Star Wars books. And that's like, one of the things that really bugged me about the comic book adaptation is that uh, Foster goes to great lengths to describe exactly how the canopy of Luke's fighter was peeled back and almost took his head off. Yet, when you look at the adaptation, I mean, Luke's X-Wing is in pretty good shape, except the wings got knocked off. I have a lot of issues with how things were visualized in that adaptation. Because Luke had a gash on his head and the whole nine yards, and I don't think any of that's really represented well in the the adaptation. I like the art of the adaptation, but honestly, that's about all I really like. I like the way the characters are drawn in it, but I don't like the way things look. It's too bright. It's a very dark, it should be a dark, dirty, swampy um, sort of setting. The Wandrella, which is the most, like, it's this huge, basically, jungle sandworm, just is very underwhelming in the comics. And, like, Grammel is, like, this chubby, I, you know, Grammel sort of, like, picture, is sort of portrayed as a skinny, ratty, Nazi-like guy, and this guy is... I don't know. It just it just seemed like they didn't really pay attention to well, a lot of the details of the book when they did Foster the comic. Foster does say he has a modest paunch, but uh, yeah, this guy. Picture him the way he's he's like John Cleese or something. Yes, yes, and I pictured him being more of, you know, just more greasy. You know, more of yeah. a greasy, you know, completely sort of a, with a little Caligula air to it. You know, he didn't have that sweaty evil power monger thing that you know the 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 book really painted a a graphic picture of everything the dirty cell that they were in when when they find the yuzums and just everything about in the comic hala doesn't have a single wrinkle on her right yeah you know she looks like a clean-cut middle-aged, you know... And she's dressed like Ben Kenobi. And now you said earlier, Chris, that she's the Ben Kenobi substitute. I don't know, reading the novel each time, I never really felt that. And I wasn't ever clear. At the end, finally, she says, oh, I do parlor tricks with the Force. And I, you know... But I, I, I sort of was taken aback reading the comic, seeing her in, in Jedi robe basically because yeah. I, I didn't see her as I pictured her as a crow somebody who knew what she was doing with the force you know I wasn't sure if we were supposed to be impressed that she could move a salt shaker across the table or not. <laughs> I mean I guess I hadn't thought about what you said Scott that's the first time or maybe Chris said that it's the first time we've seen the force used for telekinesis but uh, I don't know I did I didn't uh, I didn't buy it I thought the comic was really much more favorable to her as a character than I would have been. I would. I don't have a. I, mean, I would have had her in rags and like point. a crone, maybe yeah, like even a missing woman. a tooth. Yeah, like missing a tooth or two with ratty hair, and you know, so she would look at first glance to be a crazy lady. Yeah, yeah. And then as I you get to know to her, you start realizing she's got more of a head on her shoulders. But at first glance, she, you know, and she plays that crazy old lady thing off to her advantage. But yeah. this one, she looks too. She looks too respectable to be yeah. the crazy old lady wandering around, and she'd stick out. She's clean. It's it's just way too. I mean, the 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 comic, the way you know. I mean, he's he's got like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher down perfectly, yeah. except he draws Carrie Fisher a little more skinny than you know she really was. 
but still, it's it looks nice. She's in her skin tight Tron outfit, <laughs> and, and uh, but yeah, and I, I you know I I just pictured it a, a more. I mean, that book really paints a picture. That it's all constantly describing how the ground feels underfoot, and um, you know how the sunlight is mostly just blotted out by vegetation, and you don't get that feel at all from the comic. It's almost like it's almost like illustrations to a storybook or something. And the covers are like that too. The covers have that like half-assed combination of. Pulp Fiction painting and storybook cover or maybe like the painting you would see on a model cover or something. I don't know. I I, I like the cover of the issue one. Yes. That is an awesome cover. I, I, I just would have liked something. I would have loved to see. You know who could have drawn? You know who would have been the best artist for this? I think Richard Corbin. I would have loved to have seen how Richard Corbin drew this, especially for the um, for the Darth Vader stuff and the Grammel sort of stuff, and for the Wandrella. He would have drawn the Wandrella. This thing just looks like a flesh-colored tube. It looks like a flesh-colored tube sock with a um, you know, with a dune sandworm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say one thing I did, one moment I really did like in the comic that isn't in the novel. It's where uh, while Luke and Leia are making their way across the lake, everybody else is up on the surface and they see a shooting star. But then we as the readers get to see that the shooting star is an Imperial shuttle. Yeah. Uh, and it's Vader yeah. making his way yeah, down that's to the a planet. New scene. That's that a nice cool. moment. I, I thought yeah. that was a nice, ironic uh, moment of foreboding. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I really did like that. It was a bit of retconning, but it was still pretty cool. But still, yeah, but I, I but it worked. <laughs> well, because issue two, three, and four each added new scenes of. I don't think four did, but I know issues two and three added new scenes of Vader that kind of foreshadow his coming that weren't in the book. Like you see Ben Essa uh, contacting him in issue two, and then um, you see Executor, which completely mucked up continuity in issue three, and then the shooting star sequence. Hal has never been brought back by any EU writers. You never I was going to ask that, actually, if you, if you guys knew that, if she had been ever... That's interesting, because uh, they sort of imply at the end that she's going to see the light and join the rebellion. So Yeah. I want to see a young Hala in the Clone Wars. That would be cool. Oh, Ooh, that, that would be cool. Be cool. Yeah. That George left. He could... <laughs> I've yeah. already mentioned it once, I think. All right. But we have <laughs> to mention it again. Well, we did... Uh... We did get Yuzums brought into the uh, the mainstream uh, mm. Star Wars universe because in Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi, one of the creatures in there was a Yuzum. So really? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, or at least I had uh, there was a model kit that you could build that was Jabba's palace and just all these characters that you could paint and everything. And I remember one of them being uh, being a Yuzum that was in there. That was really cool. But I think maybe it was. Maybe the novel that says something about Yuzms or something, but yeah, yeah, it was it was brought in. I thought that was really cool. I think they ended up looking just a little bit different than maybe like the way I had imagined that they might look in the novel, but that they were they were called Yuzms anyway, or a Yuz. I think it's just one. I think it was called a Yuzm. A Yuzm. 
Wow, that well, was an uncomfortable conversation. Pause. Yeah, I just brought the conversation to a screeching freaking halt right there. <laughs> well, you want to hear my favorite parts? Well, let Josh. Josh had a whole bunch of notes, so. Oh, okay. Well, well here's my last one. Speaking of uncomfortable moments, um, you know, the, the other notes we kind of touched upon here or there, so I'm going to skip them, and some of them are redundant. But Luke wasn't allowed to watch uh, Leia change. But did you notice that they mentioned three PO was kind of staring at her changing? Yes, he was recording it for Luke later. He and Luke had a little <laughs> nod and a wink arrangement. Play back the entire message. R two's yeah. got, the, yeah. R2's yeah. got the other angle, and they got a, they put it together for a holographic image for Luke later. Sweet. Yeah, what what did you, you had some notes, Chris? Well, just my my um my favorite part's pretty obvious. It's just the the battle at the end between when when I read that part with vader and and leia and luke all fighting i remember how many times i'd read it as a kid i would read that part over and over again every single paragraph was burned and so reading it again it was just like oh my god that's right that's right so that part just it's always been the most exciting part because that was what you were reading the whole novel to find out how that right come down but my least favorite part was how they just how the ending played out because yeah it was just sort of i i figured the caber crystal would figure more powerfully into it than just sort of uh um you know instead of just healing leia and then i i assume at the end luke just ends up with it right he takes it back to uh, with him but I I always remembered it like going down in the hole with Vader or you know or something like that being lost and it was like well we'll never get that and Vader's gone but at least we have our lives but that's not how it played out it was strange and that's just sort of dropped and then you know at the end of it Hinn and Key are dead you know they were you know they were their their buddies and at the end it's just sort of lighthearted they you know yeah. having a Star Trek moment where they all have a laugh at, at C-3PO's yeah, C-3PO yeah, goes well I don't know sir and everybody goes ha 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 exactly and it's like and they're leaving behind the corpses of their two friends who've gotten who've saved their asses so many times well he was able to heal Leia yeah yeah and I like, really would have liked to have seen this be a movie and see ki- see Luke kick Vader's arm down into the hole after Vader. I think that would <laughs> be excellent. Uh, they did retcon that the Kaber crystal, because they had to explain some EU sources. Well, wait a second. If they got the Kaber crystal, then how come Luke's not moving Star Destroyers? Yeah, exactly. They said that once the crystal leaves the temple, it loses its power. So basically, it's only uh, good in the temple. So why does so Luke live on Nimbin, it, becoming the most powerful Jedi ever? And then yeah, yeah. So, so basically, whatever. it's one of the Sankara stones. Then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite moment in this book is very brief. It's very simple, but every time I read this book, it, it gives me a, a shudder and and just gives me chills. And it's where Vader has done what he's done to Leia. And Luke picks up his saber and they face each other for the first time. And Luke realizes what's happening. You know, he's facing Darth Vader. He's probably not going to live through this fight. He's got to do something to at least try to gain something of an advantage. And he just looks at Vader very defiantly 
And I, I can hear the line as delivered by Mark Hamill so clearly in my head. And it's it's almost, it's it's one part, you know, it's half defiance and half almost like a na-na-na-na-na-na. It's where he says, I'm Ben Kenobi. Yeah. But the way I imagine he says it is kind of like, well, well, I'm Ben Kenobi. You know, like, and and it works perfectly because it unsettles Vader. Vader actually, and it's not in the comic either. And steps back. You know, he he's like for just a moment, he's like, "You're what?" You know, and I love that. Yeah, you're right. It's not in the book. Yes, Vader. it is. Not in the is comic. It? Yeah, in the comic, he says, "I'm Ben Kenobi." Does he? Really? I'm pretty sure he does. I could I be did. wrong. Well, we'll go back and check. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm sure he did. I'm ninety percent sure. Yeah, I didn't think he did it either. I was Scott, reading don't you have your comics out? Said, ben and the Force are with me now, is what yeah. he said. Does not say. Uh, he says, I'm going to kill you, Darth Vader. You have a high opinion of yourself. Not of me, of Ben Kenobi. Kenobi's dead. I killed him myself. You're a simple farm boy. So that was the moment, because that's, that is in the book. That's Vader is taken aback by what he says, and he's visibly shaken by what Lucas said. And then he kind of recovers himself and says, Kenobi's dead. I killed him. My... And he's more convincing himself than he's convincing Luke. At least that's the way I read it, that he's kind of reassuring himself, you're not Ben Kenobi. I killed Ben Kenobi. You're just a kid from the sticks, you know? And so, yeah, they, they actually changed the line a little bit. But to me, it doesn't read the same if you change that. I really like yeah. the fact... I, I didn't really care so much for the insinuation that's made in this book that that Ben's not so much the disembodied spirit we would later see him be in Empire and Jedi, but that Luke has somehow um, he's got like Ben's Katra or something, you know what I mean? To kind of cross the streams. You know, like, like he's, yeah, like he's channeling Kenobi. I don't really like that. I just like the thought that somehow in a way that Luke can't identify, he knows Kenobi's with him. You know, like the yeah. spirit of Kenobi is, is like with him looking, you know, almost like a guardian angel kind of thing. And I think that's why he says that. He he doesn't necessarily feel he really literally is Ben Kenobi, well, but I in think, that moment... I think in the uh, book it leaves it open that it might actually be Ben Kenobi because Luke doesn't really know. It just sort of comes out, you know? He describes it. He doesn't it. remember a lot of what yeah. happens, right? Yeah. See, I agree with you, Chris. I, I, I agree. But what I'm saying is I don't really like that. So the way I like to read it is is like, you know, what I'm saying is that I think that is what, what uh, Alan Dean Foster's going for is that somehow Ben actually is almost like a puppet master at, at times with Luke. But I don't really like that. I, I like it more that, that Luke says it to Vader because he feels the presence of Kenobi, and, and it's like the first thing he can think of to really try to unsettle Vader a little bit, you know, to to, to, to try to gain, like, if not a physical or, or a prowess edge in the fight, yeah, he's psychological, yeah, psych, exactly, he's psyching him out, you know, so he's trying to gain a psychological advantage in the fight. I love that. That is my favorite moment of the book. I, I think that's, that's perfect. I would have loved to have seen something like that in Empire. You know where where Luke tried to to fake him out a little bit, but then by the time they face each other in Empire, Luke, you know he he's ballsier. He's much more confident in his abilities, and he's feeling much more like at least in the beginning of that fight that they're on equal footing. 
you know that that he's right. he he's deserves old, he's more battle hardened. Yeah, well, he's he he you know you can tell by the way he carries himself in the beginning of that fight in the carbon freezing chamber that he feels you know he doesn't feel out of place or that he doesn't deserve to be in the same arena with Darth Vader, well, which it's, is it's like we just built. it's like uh-huh. if we went and trained with Chuck Norris for a few months, you know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden met like our childhood bully or something, you know, you'd be right. a little more confident and kicking his ass. You would have taught me how to jump over a tree. I can... Ah, my hand! (laughs) (laughs) Uncle, uncle! (laughs) That's about all I got. As far as uh, nitpicks, there's there's a few, but nothing that, like, ruins the book for me or nothing that I I can't move past or or that I can't go, man, I can live with that kind of thing. Same Uh, here. It's all just minor little... Yeah. ...here and there's, but overall, it's... I, it really ruined a lot of, like, I've sort of started other Star Wars novels and just not, they, they've almost seemed more like author for hire type things, whereas this one has, you know, a blood and guts sci-fi writer writing it, you know? I don't know, I don't, I don't mean to be snobby about it, but no, no, I mean, I maybe feel it's you prejudiced completely. me against other, other Star Wars books, you know, outside of the adaptations of the movies really which i only read the original three adaptations i haven't read it i i started reading parts of episode one and i really didn't like the way it was written but no, uh it's very pedestrian i think yeah but, uh, uh, but up, uh, up until i read uh that order 66 that's really the first one that i read where i felt like it's on a par uh character wise with splinter because I think that is still Splinter's strongest feature is the characterization. I think that's what really carries this book is I like the way the people are portrayed. I like the way they talk. I like the things that they go through. But they feel like the characters to me, and they feel very real. And I don't get that same feeling from most other Star Wars books. It, they focus so much on either minutia or making sure that you get some awesome moment with a lightsaber or some fan, big explosion. Fan fiction type fan stuff. St- yeah, fan stuff that they don't get character moments and they don't feel genuine to me. And that's that's what I liked about uh, about the clone, you know, the commando stuff. So, yeah, I, I completely... No, I don't think it's snobby at all. I think you, you this, this book set the tone, you know, of, of what we wanted to see or what we thought star wars books should be and i you know sadly i I agree i I think so few of them have ever measured up i can put this book next to an asimov book or uh you know a philip jose farmer or a heinlein adventure story and it holds up you know as far as a science fiction story goes oh i do have one other thing i wanted this isn't a nitpick so much as uh, I i thought you guys might get amused by this for some reason as a kid i didn't I guess I just didn't realize that Alan Dean Foster, you know, if he wrote other books just because it was him as the author, didn't mean that those books were star Wars books necessarily. Uh. And I can remember discovering his, at least so far as I'm aware, his next book after this, when it came to the Carthage library was a book. I think the name of it was catch a lot. If I don't, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with like this water planet. Well, anyway, it came out, and I rented it immediately when it came out from the library. Took it home, read about the first I don't know, several chapters, you know, from the library. And uh, 
was just absolutely destroyed as a oh, child to where's realize. Luke? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a science fiction novel, obviously, but it had you know it wasn't a Star Wars book, and it just completely threw me for a loop. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. It's in space. It's a water planet. There's spaceships and stuff. It's Alan Dean Foster. What the hell am I? I was completely <laughs> just dumbfounded. I, I could not wrap my mind around. It didn't hook you into literary science fiction, huh? That no. It was an media tie-in. And <laughs> no, no. It, it, it just confounded me and, and disappointed me so horribly, horribly <laughs> bad because I wanted it to be another Star Wars by, by Alan uh-huh. Dean Foster. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, very funny. But, yeah, that I think – I'm sorry? Well, this is an important book because it's uh, it could have been the sequel to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Heir to the Empire and all those other books, none of them are able to say that this was under consideration as an actual cinematic sequel to Star Wars. I, they I should just CG it. They, I would love to see it. I would they love could to do see it that. now. That, that I mean, Clone Wars, they're they're skillful enough with setting tone and make it a PG thirteen. You know, get I, I'm totally on board with that. I, Mark I Hamill could still probably that. play Luke. I don't know if Carrie Fisher, her voice is is kind of husky these days. I've noticed that. Yeah, I was watching that uh, Building Empire uh, video you recommended, I think and there's uh, been I've, many cartons yeah. of cigarettes <laughs> between Jedi and now. She had some rough years in there. Yeah. Well, well that's yeah, okay. That's... She's she's a hardened Leia in Splinter, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, just just add a line in there. Don't where, look you know, at me during, while I'm changing. The, you know, during the crash, you know, she she caught the steering wheel in the throat or something. <laughs> you know, so she got you know the Star I mean? Wars version of strep throat or swamp fever. I got fever. some some kind of mildew from this dang planet. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, if Vader comes, I need you to promise that you're gonna kill me. <laughs> she can yeah, be played by. <laughs> It sounds like Leia is played by Maury Clawhammer, doesn't it? <laughs> ah, it's Darth Vader. I got your laser bolt right here. <laughs> you son of a bitch. This is for Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fuck around with Alderaan. <laughs> well... This has been a blast, fellas. I'm really glad that you guys joined me, and uh, I'd like to do this again if we could find uh, another similar project that we could all uh, get together about, because I, I really have enjoyed this. Yes, it's it's great having esteemed colleagues. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. It was a lot of fun. It's a good, oh, yeah. good discussion. Did we did we cover everybody's notes? Do we? I want to make sure that we, we got everything that everybody wanted to uh, to throw out there. If anybody can figure out whether or not this title has anything to do with the version of the Bible about seeing the uh, splinter in your brother's eye but ignoring the plank in your own, let me know, because I'm usually up on those kind of things, (laughs) being a preacher in my other life. But uh, I I couldn't figure out whether or not he was trying to make a biblical allusion with that title or not. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that he might have maybe not necessarily been making an illusion but read that and said oh that's interesting and played around with the words to it to, yeah. to add oh, that yeah. sort of feeling to it it's I'll, got I'll, a well, Star Trek title kind of feel to yeah, it yeah. Yeah. original series episode title yes well also um, 
it does not say Star Wars on the uh, on the true. cover of the book, which I thought is very bold and very interesting. And uh, I'm going to close out with this thought that uh, just occurred to me as Mike said that. You know, we uh, we also never talked about the fact that uh, you know the you know Hala's got the splinter. They end up going after the bigger rock and all that. I, I find some parallels there with the dark crystal that came along a couple of years later and always kind of wonder. I remember at the time watching the dark crystal and wondering if maybe uh, uh, Henson had kind of swiped some ideas from yeah, this book ideas. just in that yeah just in that concept. You know, it is possible. It is possible. Well, well, thanks for that that's thought, a show. Scott. Yeah, it's smart like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. I am neglecting my my little one. My we'll my oldest boy that. has got a, a house full of guests over tonight to as a as a late celebration for his birthday. So they're busy in the living room playing Xbox and whatnot. And, I, and I'm sure shutting out my little one. And I promised him that that daddy would spend time with him since older brother was probably going to be mean to him and shut him out all night. Nice. Yeah, I'm actually we'll go do that. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Hey, thank you for coming, guys. I really do appreciate it. And uh, and let's all get together and do this again. Josh, yeah. we definitely want to have you back to uh, to talk some Star Wars, talk some Star some Marvel Star Wars. Yeah, and, and speaking other of that, and- I've thrown all my new Marvel Star Wars in a pile on the floor, and I'm going to roll in them when we get done with this podcast. <laughs> Anytime you guys want to have me on, this was fun. Sorry if I interrupted a bit much. No, no, no. Next... You got to do that with us because otherwise, <laughs> if, you know, it, it, Mike's learned that the hard way. If, if you <laughs> eventually jump in and, and jump and butt into the conversation, then you're, you're going to go the whole show with not getting to say anything. Eventually, we're going to mail our guests a little button that they can rig up to their computer <laughs> to a little application. And Scott and I will be rigged up with, like, little electroshock things on the base of our spine, and you'll just go, and it'll be a little reminder to shut the hell up. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, 
visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.